This episode deals with suicide and suicide prevention, but contains no specific stories of suicide. It's a crucial topic for parents, but of course, please listen with care. 988 is the U.S. Crisis and Prevention Lifeline, and all other crisis lines are in the episode description where you're listening. Regret. We've all felt it at one time or another. It often comes with the knowledge that we've gained after the fact, or with the ability to think clearly when we couldn't in the moment. When we've been through something awful, something tragic, we often search for the meaning in it. Why did it happen? What could I have done differently? How can I prevent others from making the mistakes I made? And the most horrifying kind of regret has to be that which comes after a death you feel you could have prevented, the death of a loved one, your child. I can't even begin to imagine the pain today's guest, Ann Moss Rogers, felt back in 2015 when she lost her 20-year-old son, Charles, to suicide the pain she undoubtedly still lives with today. So I didn't want Ann Moss to have to retell that story. She's told it so many times now, first in a newspaper article that went viral, in her blog, Emotionally Naked, her award-winning memoir, Diary of a Broken Mind, her TEDx talk, The New York Times, Variety Magazine, and the list goes on. The story of her son's addiction, the mistakes she feels she made, his ultimate death, it all informs the work she does today as a mental health and suicide education expert, professional speaker, trainer, and consultant. Stick around as Ann Moss Rogers shares valuable insight that could literally save the life of someone you love or someone you barely know. This is Speaking of Teens, the podcast that helps parents who are struggling to find peace and connection with their teen. My name is Ann Coleman. I'm an attorney turned parent educator and a mom who's been there. And I'm on a mission to help you strengthen the relationship and decrease the conflict with your kid so you can help them become the young adult they're meant to be. Ann Moss and I have something in common. We both regret not having known then what we know now. Her regret carries much deeper sorrow than mine, but having been through what we both did with our sons led us to teach other parents how to avoid our mistakes. And when it comes to the suicide of a child, the biggest mistake can be assuming they would never. Well, we all all think, well, they love us too much and we love them too much. There's no way we can't fathom that somebody would be in a place where they would take their life. We don't, we don't understand that it's a limited time episode where somebody is sort of in a lot of times in a trance-like state, not always, but in a place where they don't have full control over what their brain is telling them. And it's kind of like a brain attack. And their brain is saying, you're worthless. The only way you can stop this pain is to kill yourself. And what's interesting is that that period can be maybe 20 minutes. It can be longer. It can be shorter. But 20 minutes is about average. So I'm talking to a woman who is on a bridge one night. And... I did not call the police. Number one, I wasn't sure which bridge. When I finally figured out the bridge, I knew she had had a previous run-in with the law. And if the law showed up, she'd go over. Oh, my God. So I wasn't going to take that chance. So instead, I kept talking to her and listening. And I didn't argue with how she felt. I just said, tell me more about that. Why are you thinking that? You know, just kept asking questions. The way I could tell she was coming out of it was that she said, my hands are really cold. I'm cold. And she had not been cold previously. And it's like 20 degrees out, which is cold for Virginia. It's windy. She's on a bridge. It's always colder on a bridge. And I said, ooh, I bet it's warmer in your car if you cut that heater on. Got her in the car. She cuts on the heater 
And I said, is that better? Is it getting better? And she goes, well, it's not warming up. I said, well, you're going to have to like start driving at home for it to oh, really God. start to warm up. God. <laughs> and so she starts driving. She said, well, I don't have the fancy car system. And she said, I can put it on speaker. And I was afraid to kind of let her go, but I knew yeah. she would kind of come out of it. And I said, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get home? And I said, you you know, your cat, I bet your cat's hungry. And she said, yeah, I got to feed my cat. So oftentimes we think, oh, they'll think of another way. If we, you know, if we remove that firearm, they'll think of something else. Not really. Actually, they're kind of committed, especially they have tunnel vision. Yeah. So they don't like have plans to like change their mind. So it is sort of that misunderstanding of what that whole scenario is like. So parents think it's more like I've given up on life and I'm making a threat and I'm not going to follow through with that. But anybody that has suicidal thoughts, they don't want suicidal thoughts. They didn't plan it to like get attention or get back at someone 99% of the time. It's really, they're struggling with something and they're desperate and they're scared and they want help. And when we freak out as parents, you know, they don't want to tell us because we're going to freak out or yeah. we're going to do something. They, you know, we're going to throw them in the hospital, you know, right. make them take medication and they don't know what those next steps are. So there is fear in telling you how you're going to react. So just a lot of that stuff. And I, I get that now. Yeah. And I think my son, given the fact that we did the therapeutic boarding school, we did the wilderness. By that time, he didn't trust what we would do. You know, yeah. he thought, oh, they'll send me again. Well, we couldn't. He was over 18. But they're they're going to do something drastic like they did before. Yeah. And I, I get why he would think that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, gosh, that brings up so many questions because so in, in the moment when someone is, you know, having these thoughts, like for instance, my godson, we just went through this recently with him. He's 22 at same age as my son. And we just went through this a few weeks ago and what he was saying was, I just don't want to be here anymore. I just want it to end. Um, and I had no idea what to say or what to do. But what was happening at the same time was he was telling his parents this. And his parents were responding by ignoring him and saying that he'd said it so many times before. And they were telling, we were reaching out to them and saying, he's saying this. And they were saying, well, just don't worry about it. He says this all the time. He's done it a million times before. He has he's, anxiety. He's given you, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Those are multiple invitations. He's saying, help, help, help. Yes. And yes. really, here's something really, really important. Our kids don't feel heard. And right. if he's saying it over and over, he's not feeling heard they need to sit down and and say I'm listening to you now and I apologize for not listening to you tell me more about how you feel and then what do you do you shut up you don't say anything I mean of course it's a completely silent you would ask more questions you allow them to talk you allow them to feel heard you do not give solutions and fixes. Well, you need to exercise more. You need to get more friends. Yeah. Yeah. Theirs was go get a job. We, Theirs was you need to work. Just go work. Get get over it and just go get a job. That's what they were telling this this kid. Sure. It's because we, we think it's just not possible. And yeah. we don't want to find out after the fact that it was indeed impossible and that there's something we could have done. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just, it's not that parents are bad. It's just that we can't fathom right. that our kids who basically look like they have everything and this big future in front of them cannot see that. 
Yeah. And I thought getting a job was going to resolve it for my son, but getting a job for him meant having enough money to get more heroin. <laughs> right, right. Which is, mm. yeah. Well, so when when parents are in the middle of this where they see that their kids are struggling with something, let, because with my son, he was struggling with anxiety. He was struggling with depression. We didn't really... I mean, we knew that there were some drugs going on. There were all kinds of different things going on, but he was acting out in such a way at home. And, you know, we had all the behavior issues and that rage and that anger. And I see parents saying this all the time in Facebook groups and online and in Reddit and all over the place where they're like, just, you know, cut them off, just send them away, just call the police, tough love, tough love. What would you tell those parents when when they're oh. when a kid is acting out and maybe they don't realize that it's mental health issues, but the kid's just acting horribly? What what would you tell parents? Well, I can tell you, tough love is malarkey. Yeah, I mean, I did tough love, and my son is dead because of it. <sighs> Bottom line. Um, he called us, he basically was asking for help in his own way. It wasn't real obvious, but, uh, looking back, that's what he was doing. I thought I needed to stick to this route of tough love. We tried everything else. So surely this was going to fix it. Well, my son was a sympathetic, sympathetic, empathic child. And when he thought we had given up on him, right. He gave up on himself. Yeah. I wish I would have said as much as I want you to get well. I love you even if you don't. Yeah. So that anger is coming from a place of frustration. Again, going back to wanting to feel heard. A lot of people read my um, first book, Diary of a Broken Mind. Yes. And in there are some lyrics that my son wrote. So a lot of families have used those lyrics to say, I've read this and I'm reading this book. So I'm trying to understand what you're going through. So first of all, they're like perked up. Oh, mom cares enough that she's reading this book about somebody else and reading about what this young man said about what he felt. Right. So they understand you're trying to understand how they feel. And then you say, is, is this passage, does it represent how you feel? Yeah. So they like that. And it usually starts a conversation. So that's, you know, one way to do it. And of course, a million others. Right. Um, but tough love is, I've got a whole article written about that because that line is constantly shifting. Now, mm. I don't think you need to like pay all their bills if they're not right. paying their bills. They need to understand the consequences of not paying their bills. Their yeah. phone gets cut off. Their gaming gets cut off, whatever. Right. Um, however, withdrawal of love is never the right solution. Never. Okay. Never, and that's ever. how they see it is withdrawal of love. The tough love thing is saying we're, I mean, to them, it's basically saying we're finished. We're done with you now figure it out on your own. So, and I don't want to speak for you, but, but tell, tell us, you know, I know a lot of parents are afraid to talk to their kids about this, like afraid to cut, to bring up the subject of suicidality or, you know, if their kid is depressed or if they are self-harming or they're anxious and won't go to school, no parent really wants to bring this topic up because they're so afraid of putting that into their mind. Um, so talk, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, how does that make sense? Is that what we should be afraid of or not? Hey there, real quick, I want you to know about something that if you're anything like me, an anxious ADHD overthinker, you may really need. It's my free guide, Emotional Awareness Strategies. Being emotionally aware is the key to managing your emotions with your kids or anyone else. Inside, I talk to you about the common thinking traps, being able to differentiate between your emotions and the importance of mindfulness. 
if you're a yeller, lecturer, crier, or punisher, you need this guide. The link is at the very bottom of the episode description where you're listening. Back to the show. Talking about suicide does not plant the idea in their head. It's already in there. When we talk about it, when we hear certain phrases and a a red flag comes up, or you get this gut feeling that something's right and you ask that question, you are not planting the idea. What you're doing is you're opening the door. And if they've been thinking about it, they're like, they finally got all those hints I've been leaving. They're finally asking me the one thing I've been wanting them to for years. And I mean, kids reach out to me online. I've been hinting to my parents for three years to ask me this question and nobody has. And that's because the parent just can't fathom that that would be an issue. Right. And I'm like, you have to tell them directly. I don't want to. I said, tell your school counselor, then you and your school counselor together give them that message because some parents, just will not buy it. Always trying to get attention, all this other stuff. We have so much invested in our children. They're not the type. Charles, funniest, most popular kid in school, had signed a contract for a a rap album. His lifelong dream. I never thought. Wow. Never thought he would leave. Ever. So, I mean, he really had so much to live for, but he right. was in a deep depressive episode. He, he was addicted to heroin, but he didn't take too much of it. He ran out of it, and he was so depressed. He was too depressed to go get more right. or do anything about it, and he decided to end it instead. So uh, I want to go back for a second and talk about the tough love, and that is weaponizing, weaponizing our love. And we don't want to do that. So so you've thrown them out of the house. They're like, oh, well, they think I'm worthless. So do I. So what's the point? You've basically taken the one thing away that could possibly, they could hang on to and say, well, that's worth it. But whether you've kicked them out or whether they're in the house, suicide can happen either way. Yeah. I mean, it can happen in your in their bedroom down the hall, or it can happen. You're just increasing the risk. Now, at some point, if your child's behavior has gotten so bad that it's toxic to other family members, they may have to leave the home, right. you know, and if you're just like, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, you're stealing from me. You are setting off alarms. You have just, stolen from the neighbors and I can't have that behavior in my home. Right. And I'm sorry, but to earn your way back, you've got to earn my trust back. Yeah. But we don't cut off communication and we don't cut off the love. So I remember in Ryan Hampton's book, he talks about he didn't live with his mother, but his mother would make him food. She'd meet him for lunch. She yeah. would take his phone calls. So for years, 10 years, wow! and then he went into recovery and he's like one of the most amazing advocates ever. And it was painful and it was agonizing, but he did turn things around. And part of the reason, and when he did reach out to her, she was not, she was a single mom. She didn't have a lot of means, but she managed to have some contacts and get him into recovery. And then a friend ended up putting more towards it. And he went somewhere for 18 months and that's what helped. But she held on. She held on. What I'm going to tell parents is if your child is still alive, there is hope. It, It may not, turn around but it is not within your control but there are things we can do that create an environment where they're more likely to choose recovery so one of those is craft c-r-a-f-t like craft project Mm -hmm. books 
and uh, support related to that is more about being more positive as a family because when we go with this sort of punitive parenting, it is not working in any level on this generation. Right. We need to be more wisdom guides um, instead of, you know, that that punishment thing just right. is not very effective. Right. And I think we need to change how we react. So when I was got to the end right before he died, I had started to learn some of those communication tactics. And I remember when he told me that he thought he might be addicted, that was one of the few conversations I handled very well. And I handled it well because I listened more and lectured less. And I didn't scream, I didn't yell, I didn't make accusations, but when he told me a really wild story, I just said, well, that's interesting. Mom, do you believe me? And I said, that is some story. I didn't say, no, I don't believe right. you, or I do believe you. I just said, well, that is some story. In wow. other words, and then he thought, Perfect. well, maybe she doesn't believe me. And then you know what I did? I shut up. I just let the silence sit there. Yes. And once I did that, that's when he confessed because yes. I shut up long enough to give him the opportunity. Yeah. And he heard confess. what he was saying and he listened to it and he thought that really doesn't sound right. Does it? And he came back around. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've not done that exact thing with my son, but I went through the same thing where I had to learn how to listen and to shut up and to, you know, hear what he was actually saying to me, because you're right. They, they want to be heard. That's their, you know, that's the crux of the whole acting out. I think in many cases is, yeah, they just want someone to see them and hear them and know what they're going through. And, I, and meet them where they are. Yes, yes. Instead of trying to put your expectations way up here where they, they can't reach that right now. You know, baby steps. You said something in, um, in something that I read where you were talking about at times at which adolescents are more at risk, like times of transition and that kind of thing. What, what do we need to watch for? What, what are those transitions? So we we have two times where adolescents in particular are more vulnerable to having relapses or having mental health struggles. And that is transitions and many transitions and the other is relationship disruptions. So what are transitions? Um, Middle school to high school, high school to college, college to real life. Those Mm. are the big ones. Yeah. But what we're really not paying a lot of attention to are spring break and coming back home. So in working with a a college, a big university, and it's not the leaving for the break, but the coming back that's been the biggest issue. So in most cases, I've called and said, okay, coming back after fall break. They're going to be at higher risk right now. So everyone needs, you know, to be alert. It's because those transitions make people more anxious and they're leaving their support system and coming to like a system that they have to transition to whatever support systems there. So it just causes a lot of it. Back to school is an anxious time. Um, Leaving for holiday break, coming back. Moving is another one. Um, Deployment or a parent coming back from deployment. um, And then relationship disruption and transition would be um, divorce. And then your other relationship to fight with parent, fight with another loved one, sister, brother, best friend, uh, romantic breakup. That's a big one. All these are contributing factors and not soul causes. Being bullied is a relationship disruption. Probably one of the biggest ones that not a lot of people talk about is grief. Nobody knows how to grieve. You know, they're like, oh, well, I got to be strong. Therefore, I have to push it away. 
and you can't heal if you can't feel. And younger people don't know that because a lot of older people don't know it either. You know, I'm going to be strong, therefore I can't show any weakness. Well, that pain and the crying and all that, those are building blocks to emotional healing. And if you push it away, you stay in that ugly raw place for a lot longer. So what happens is when you lose somebody, or lose an animal, or people go to a substance, and then that becomes their go-to, and then that becomes a habit, and then it becomes an addiction. And that's where we get into trouble, really basically denying our feelings. Yeah. Yeah, that so so you see a lot of this from going from the mental health disorder, the um, depression or anxiety, then to the substances, and then from there on to suicide. Is that more of the the way that it goes usually, or does it often happen just there? Something happens like a relationship, a boyfriend breakup, or something. Does it often just snap like that, and they? They take their life, or is it usually more of a somebody that somebody that takes their life? There are multiple contributing factors. I mean, they have to be vulnerable. In I mean, think of the millions of kids every year that are bullied, and they'll take their life. Right? They they have resilience. They have other support systems. Whatever it is. But for a child to take his life and that bullying kind of being that last straw that pushes them towards suicide, they had to have had vulnerability in some of the way. Other things weren't going well in their life. Their parents are divorcing. So-and-so is fighting. Their friends have left them. They've moved to a new place. Uh, I can count multiple things. My, my son died by suicide. He was you know, going through withdrawal from heroin. He was in a major depressive episode. He suffered from depression. Um, Of course, he had the addiction, which put him 15 times more likely to die by suicide, which nobody ever told me. Wow. Um, He had a court case, and he was actually sexually um, abused by a policeman on the side of the road in the middle of the night. And, of course, it was policemen, so, you know, they believed him. The policeman was relieved of duty two years later for similar incidents. They So all the things, so the more things that pile up, the more things we see our kids going through, which is why we need to be so observant and as open with our kids and listening as much as we can so that we can know what they're going through, right? And so all these things piling on, when we start seeing those things piling on, we need to be much more observant and then start maybe the conversation of, listen, if you are thinking about it or ever do think about it, right, you can tell me. Is that what we say? Just tell me and I'll get you the help. Well, I, I think the first thing is, I don't know the first thing about this. I um, but I want to know what your experience is like. I am freaking out. I am not handling this well. Every time you walk in the door, I want to say, how are you? I want to text you every five seconds. I am just not doing as well as I need to be. So here's what I am going to do for me to help us both. Number one, this is making me irritable. So if every once in a while you just give me a random hug, That'd be great. You know, that will help. Number two, um, let's put those hotlines and crisis lines in your phone and make sure, you know, and then you can actually do a safety plan. I have one you can do on an index card. Um, But get help for yourself. Say, I'm not handling this well, therefore I'm going to go get help for me. And I'm going to go to NAMI, which is National Alliance of Mental Health, and I'm going to go to their family support group. So what are you doing? You're saying, I'm going to go get help. Reaching out for help is a sign of strength, and I think I need it now, and people get to places where they need help. You're modeling yes. good, a good coping strategy. Yeah. And you can even come up with a code word and say, 
I don't want to constantly ask you, are you thinking of suicide? But I know that's the only way to really do that. But let's come up with a, a code phrase. And you can make it serious. You can make it funny. But we can think of things together. But the decision on what it is has to be you. Because we want to give them agency. Yes. We want to give them their power back. So this is, we don't want to get into a power struggle. We want to find opportunities to give them agency. We want to find opportunities to give them their power back. What kind of phrase would you like to use? So someone will say, I don't feel safe in my body today. <clears throat> One young lady says, my toenails are blue. She wants to say something funny. <clears throat> Or the, and one kid said, well, I want to tell my mother the North African nudes have gotten loose. Oh you know, I mean, just. I don't, for some know, reason, so, it popped in my head. My son would probably say something like, my underwear is dirty. I mean, I can just imagine what he would say. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's great. So a code word or code phrase. Right. A code phrase. But you must have that agreement. When yeah. I say that, I am struggling with that suicide. Yeah. So you can, when the kid said he said this, he would naturally laugh. His parent would laugh. They're like, all right, we got to get serious. Yeah. But it would kind of reset his brain. Right. And it, you know, it did, it did help. Get him out of that mode now, that you were talking about, that right. kind of headset. You can do, and I do this with students all the time, where we do a safety plan on an index card. Um, we list first what, what makes white life worth living they have to put at least two things it can be their gaming partners it's you know it can be their family their dog on that um they need to list one thing that brings up a good memory like for me it's a time in vienna when i ate in a castle with royalty and we had like the funniest table and we laughed all night so it's Vienna 1998, and that memory comes right back. Right. So that's the key to this crisis response plan, and I just call this a coping card. Second is, um, who do you reach out to when you're struggling? Not just with suicide, with anything. I'm nervous about this test. Is it Aunt Sally? It doesn't just have to be a parent. We want at least two trusted adults. And they do not have to be a parent. They could be a school counselor. They could be somebody at the college. They could be another relative, but two trusted adults. You want to list uh, a couple of crisis resources, and you also want to list some coping strategies. When you start to feel something coming on, what works for you? So with males, they're never willing to do the face in a bowl of ice, although that works. They're usually much more willing to do lots of jumping jacks, taking the dog out for a walk, going for a run, or just, you know, getting on a bike and really sweating. Yeah. Out. You know, funny enough, my godson <clears throat> just told me yesterday that he, that they taught him to try, he's in, in treatment right now, and they taught him to put his face in ice. And I've been trying to get him to do that forever, and he wouldn't do it for me, but he did do it. So, yeah, those he things work. somebody else. So what, is, what does that do, though? It, it, it just brings you out of that moment? It's a, ch it's a change in temperature, and cold will do that. So intense exercise and change in temperature are two things that will kind of reset your brain. So when I was really grieving and I was really struggling, it was really cold that year. I'd walk outside without a coat. Mm. And, you know, I didn't stay out there all night. Yeah. I stayed out there for five minutes. I was freezing cold. But it reset. Wow. You know, it was kind of a, a distraction because I'm like, I can't think about it. Right, right, because I'm freezing to death. Like, yeah. Right. And it was just, and I didn't realize that cold reset your brain until I was on one of these podcasts many years ago. And we were talking about the grief and these um, counselors. I was being interviewed by two counselors. They're like, oh, my God, change of temperature. You know that that's a DBT skill. I'm like, Oh, wow. That is so good to know. And because I knew that that did help with like anxiety to help you get out of a panic attack and that kind of thing. Well, the breathing helps if you take, 
I mean, I coached my kids through so many, and I coached myself through one, and then and I knew exactly what to a do panic attack because I yeah, yeah. I coached my kids through so many. I'm like, oh, pull over the side of the road. I know exactly what to do, and I'm going to do it myself to help me. Well, so that your face heats all up, right? And, you know, you your heart rate exactly. Goes and, Well, so that safety plan, the thing about that then is to go ahead and talk about that when they're not in that mode, when they're not upset, maybe, you know, the day after or hours after and say, okay, what can we do next time? And so you write these things down. I mean, that's really brilliant. And you do one at the same time. What should we be teaching our kids, our teens, that they can do to help other teens, because I, I did, I just, um, in my newsletter last week, I just mentioned the mental health, um, first aid for adolescents. What can we do? Like a lot of high schools I know and middle schools still do not have any kind of program where they teach kids how to intervene or how to, you know, help other kids. Help yeah. So and it is the First yeah. question that they asked me in high school: Really, is how can I help my friend? Well, there we go. Or my friend is cutting. What do yes, I do? Yes, yes, yes. So tell us. And I have an article that they look up online. Um, my friend is cutting. What do I do? Oh, I'll link say. to that. So, if someone is um, thinking about suicide and they tell you, you listen, you ask questions, you don't try to fix. And tell me more about how you feel. I am listening. And that's when an adult says that's what all of us should say. And then we shut up and we listen. We ask more questions. You said you think everybody hates you. We don't refute it and say, no, no, everybody loves you. Instead, we say, why do you think everybody hates you? And just listen to the answer. That must be really difficult. And we go forward with that. So we don't have to listen forever. So a lot of families are like, my daughter, you know, this child is telling them this every day. I'm like, uh, well, I'm afraid y'all as a team, you're, the child has to reach out to the school counselor and you need to reach out to the parent or the school counselor. You cannot keep this a secret because it's life and death. Yeah. You must tell a trusted adult. And usually your first line if it's available, is that school counselor. I teach courses um, with a licensed clinical social worker on a a suicide risk assessment and safety planning. And I'm going to tell you the uh, school counselors that are in that room, they know the answer to every question I ask. They are on top of it. They are like better than the ER nurses, better than everybody. They know exactly what to do and what to say. That's awesome. If you have a school counselor and one that you know, right. is aware. <laughs> right. And usually there is somebody in a school where if you don't have a school counselor, this, the teacher, this one teacher is the go-to. Mm-hmm. So there's usually somebody, um, but you've got, maybe it is like, if you're a parent, so I ha- went out to California and the number one question out there was, okay, I know this child is struggling. What do I do? And so I just asked, I looked out in the crowd and I said, so I'm going to ask you a question. If your child is thinking about suicide, would you rather know before they die by suicide or after they die by suicide? And I just shut my mouth for a second. I looked out and they were like, oh, yeah. I know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Exactly. You, you know, so when we are talking to our kids about this, will they, I mean, you know, they don't want to take our advice on a lot of stuff. So how do we tell them, look, if, if you find a friend struggling, this is what you need to do. I mean, will they listen to us tell them that, you know, this is how you listen and this is what you don't, you don't invalidate their feelings and you don't tell them they've got everything to live for. You just keep listening. Will they listen to us tell them to do that? Usually, usually, they come to you with this issue because it's stressing them out. So we need to let them so know to usually, come to us. Yeah. You know, if you have a friend who's struggling, let's talk about it, you know, and just say, I don't have all the answers. 
but you know it's awful it, it's just a really big thing to have just in your own lap usually they don't want to handle that by themselves that freaks them out they usually tell a trusted That's adult good. because they're like i don't know what to do but there are too many times where a parent has said well this girl april she's been telling my daughter for six months i'm like uh i'm sorry one of y'all has to well call that's somebody. right so what do we do then let's let's get, take it the next step what do we do when our kid says my friend so-and-so has been threatening this okay let's say you can't tell the um school counselor if you can find out that parent and you're not going to want to do this yeah. right no one wants to call a parent and tell them this news so you call together with your child and you say i you know introduce who you are I do not feel real comfortable now, but I know I'd want to know this yeah. if I, if the situation was reversed. So I'm just going to tell you what I know and share. And you may get angry with me, but that that's okay. I'd rather you be angry than your child be dead. Yes. <laughs> so yes. this is what, this is what I know. This is awkward and uncomfortable but I feel like it's really serious. And when it comes from another adult, yeah. you know, the other adult, well, she says that all the time. Are you really sure about that? Because when I've heard, you know, when I've heard other parents that have lost a child, they often say that's what their kids said. And, you know, I'm no expert, but anyway. And then you want them to take action, maybe sometimes if you can still tell a teacher or a school counselor or let somebody at the school know in our case i was working with um special ed for my son they're really that's kind of where we ended up because he had adhd um i mean he had all the high iq and all that good stuff which is what kept him out of a lot of programs you know he's too smart what does that have to do with mental health? <laughs> well, so the, um, when, I mean, the only thing I can think of a problem that I see when your kid tells you that a friend is, is threatening and you wanting to go to the parent is the kid saying, please don't please, you know, she told me in confidence or he told me in confidence, but you just have to explain to them. There's no confidence when it comes to someone threatening suicide, right? Well, you asked them the question, would you rather have a friend mad at you or dead? Yeah. Good point. Just ask yep. them, you know, which one would you rather have? If they die by suicide, how would that feel? Yes. Would you wish that we would have told beforehand? Yeah. So have a calm conversation, ask them questions and say, what I love about you is the fact that you are so trustworthy and that you are wrestling with this. That's a really fabulous, trustworthy, wonderful quality about you. And I understand uh, because I would feel the same way. And I'm just really proud of you for that. And then you ask the question. So you don't yeah. dive right. in. Well, let me tell yes. you, you know, it's like you want, you want to say, wow, you're just a really loyal friend that can be trusted. And that's why they told you in the first place, because you're that kind of person that they could trust. But what if they also told you because they were hoping you would tell someone else? Exactly. Which I imagine and happens I've a lot of times. And I've found happens a ton. Yeah. The first time, so the first time I had to call a school about a young lady, I thought she was just going to send me a scathing one, but who cares? Yeah. yeah. She reached out to me online and she used her school email. She used it on purpose. Oh, yeah. She saw that another child, I had reached out to the school on her behalf. She had read down there at that comment because she commented on it later. And I'm like, she saw that. Yeah. She knew I would do it, and I did. I reached out to the counseling staff, and I just 
got five of them from because I didn't know which school. And I sent her my email and I said, she found me online. This is a comment she left. You got to talk to her because she's planning to do this tonight. <laughs> so this is an emergency. Well, now, you know, and some people would say possibly that, you know, knowing that you would know, you know, sending it on that in that email that she wasn't serious, that she wanted to get caught or she was just, you know, it was just a cry for help or what, whatever that's supposed to mean. It is a yeah. cry for help. But when, when they are making a cry for help, what, what do we you do? You're supposed just to help. Yeah, them? exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know, if you're having a heart attack and somebody's saying I'm having a heart attack, what do you go? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know Good, point. Good point. Good point. You do something. Right, right. Right. So just I mean, because they they're do? making it obvious and just because they're saying I'm going to do it doesn't mean that they're not going to do it and they're just crying wolf. It means they want help to stop from doing it, right? <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, they're screwed both yeah, ways, yeah. right? They tell you and you're like, Right, no. right. So I'm gonna give you a sample of all the things, and I have actually a slide that has these on there. So the parent thinks they're not really going to do this. And the child says, I don't even know how to explain what's going on in my head. You know, I don't even know how to go there. Um, some parents say, um, you just need to prey on it. You're just trying to get attention. You're just a drama queen. And it's not, again, because... It's just so hard to fathom that your child would seriously consider and do that. And I mean, my son for years talked about death and people dying young and, you know, Michael Jackson died young, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I never said, so what makes you bring up that? I'm curious. We need to ask with curiosity, not accusation not shame. I'm curious, what what brought that to mind? Start asking more questions and then listen. I think you could almost sum up all of parenting this way. Be curious, not accusatory. Don't shame. Listen. It's a parenting skill, the importance of which simply cannot be overstated. Being a good listener will help you know your kids, understand them, strengthen the connection with them, and ultimately ensure their mental health and physical safety on a number of different levels. Listening, truly listening, ensures that they'll keep talking and that you'll be informed. What else should you take away from today's episode? Remember that you have to take suicidal ideation and expression seriously. As Ann Moss pointed out, it is so hard as parents to understand that our kid could actually take their own life. We just can't fathom it. Often, no matter what they've said or done, but they can and they do. Understand that their brain takes them to this momentary place caused by the fight or flight response or stress response, whatever you want to call it, and it may only last minutes. But in those few minutes, they cannot think rationally. Remember, teens don't have a fully formed thinking brain. They have issues with self-control and making good decisions. So in these moments, under this kind of stress, their brain is telling them the only way to make the pain stop is to kill themselves. It's not a rational decision that your teen would be making. Next, remember that adolescents don't talk about suicide or ending their life or unaliving themselves, not wanting to be here anymore, unless they truly need help. The attention they're seeking is for someone to listen, for someone to listen and let them express the pain that they're in. Even if you don't think they really want to end their life, they still need help to get through whatever it is that's causing them this pain. Understand that there's no such thing as tough love. It's some made-up BS that some authoritarian parent made up to make themselves feel better about emotionally abusing their child. You can't help an adolescent age 10 to at least their mid-20s 
by cutting them off, locking them out, or sending them to live with someone else. I know you're tired, but that's not parenting. It's throwing up your hands. And if your kid is not behaving appropriately, you need to ask yourself why and get to the root cause of that behavior. Watch out for factors that contribute to suicidality, such as transitions like middle school to high school, high school to college, even returning to school after break. Any relationship disruption like divorce, breakups with a boyfriend or girlfriend, being bullied, and then especially grief. Understand that there are usually multiple contributing factors for why a teen becomes suicidal or takes their life. They will be vulnerable to it in one or several different ways, and then one more thing can happen that tips them over the edge. For example, addiction is a vulnerability that makes it 15 times more likely for someone to die of suicide. If they're depressed, talk to them about whether they're thinking about suicide. It will not put the idea in their head or make them more likely to do it. Admit you're nervous about it and make a safety plan, a crisis response plan. I think Ann Moss calls them coping cards that they make together. Make these with them. Come up with a phrase to use. Make sure they have all the hotlines and the crisis lines. Then make sure if they don't want to reach out to you, that they have another trusted adult they can reach out to when they're struggling with anything, not just suicide. Another relative or a family member, a friend, a coach, a teacher, whomever, but make sure they know that person. Also make sure your teen knows what to do if a friend tells them that they're thinking of suicide. Teach them to listen and validate just like you would. But they also have to understand to tell that trusted adult or school counselor or you so you can tell the parent. I'll have links to everything we mentioned in the show notes. The link is right there in the episode description where you're listening in your app. Those links will include Ann Moss's first book, Diary of a Broken Mind, A Mother's Story, as well as her most recent book, Emotionally Naked, A Teacher's Guide to Preventing Suicide and Recognizing Students at Risk. Ann Moss also has a wealth of free informational ebooks she's written, and they're all on her website. Again, just tap on the show notes link in the episode description. All right, that's it for Speaking of Teens today. I hope you know how much I appreciate you listening. And if there was ever a critical episode to share with a friend or a teacher or a coach, this would certainly be it. In most apps, there's a little three-dot thingy you can tap, and then you'll see the share button. So share away. And if you're the parent, grandparent, or carer of a teen or tween, and you're struggling in this journey, come join us in the Speaking of Teens Facebook group. The link is at the very bottom of the episode description in the app where you're listening. Until next time, remember a little change goes a long way.